Bernie has been here before. He has preached a few years ago. Uh, he's a lecturer at MST, Melbourne School of Theology, in the area of Islam. I attended a few of his uh, classes, a night course as well. And uh, um, he's going to touch on the topic on understanding Islam. He's going to preach this Sunday as well as in two weeks' time. So the first and third Sunday he will preach. And then the second and the fourth will be Pastor Bruce and myself. So Bernie, please come. And he has written a couple of books as well. Okay. And he's going to share with us. Thank you. It's great to be with you today. I'll see if I can get all the technical things going here. I arrived this morning, and uh, as we were unpacking, realised I'd left my laptop at home with the file that I was going to use for the slides. However, there is technology, and I said, I can get it on my phone with Dropbox, and showed it to Elizabeth. We couldn't get it off there, so we went to Dropbox and we downloaded it. Isn't that amazing? So there we are. We praise God for technology when it works. We praise Him, <laughs> praise him for other times too. But, uh, yeah, it's great when it does work in, in your favour. Um, so, um, yeah, just a little bit of who I am. So I've worked as a partner with InterServe for over 30 years. Um, so my wife and I, Catherine, uh, went off with uh, InterServe to Pakistan back in 1986. We worked then in Jordan, Oman, um, Yemen... Oman, Jordan, Oman, and Yemen, Pakistan, four countries. That was the four, yeah. Um, and I, now, since I've been back, I lecture at the Melbourne School of Theology, which used to be the Bible College of Victoria, which I attended with David and Errol back in the 1970s. So um, there's a, a history of connection there. <coughs> the topic um, should be, yeah, that's the one. Our topic is talking about reaching out to Muslims. So today I'll give you a bit of a, a background of some general principles and next time give you some more practical details of how, what do you do when there's a Muslim sitting in front of you. If you've got a, a work colleague or a, um, someone you know, a neighbour who's a Muslim, what do you actually say to them? Uh, now, normally you're asked to switch off your phone, but I'm going to ask you to switch it on because you may want to text a question to me as I'm speaking. Um, so we have an open mic, which means you can, or it's actually an open, an open phone. Um, my number will be on all the slides. So if at any time you think of a question, think, ah, that'd be nice, uh, I'll text that to him and we'll see if we can get a response. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the story of um, Jesus and the woman at the well. Um, you know the story in, in John, John chapter 4. Um, Jesus lived in a time of great religious tension. And this tension had a history of centuries. Um, it was probably, I was watching a show uh, last night on, um, or yeah, yesterday afternoon on um, um, Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia and the Baltic states and how they have these things that have gone on for centuries. People just have such long memories. And it was a bit like that in the Middle East, in, in Israel at that time. In 722, the Assyrians invaded um, Israel and they took most of the people off into captivity. And in their place, they brought in people from other nations uh, who came in uh, from the other places that the Assyrians had conquered. And they brought in their idols. And the uh, um, problem was with the remaining Jews then started taking on some of these idols. Instead of worshipping Yahweh, the God of Israel, they started worshipping these foreign idols and they started marrying, intermarrying with the, uh, the women that had come in and the men that had come in from uh, these, these other nations. 
And over time, things got even worse when the Jews returned to the promised land under Nehemiah and they wanted to rebuild the temple. The Samaritans opposed them. And they wrote to the, uh, you remember the story, they, they wrote to the emperor and say, these people should not be allowed to rebuild their temple. Um, and they actually built an alternative temple on Mount Gerizim. And so, whereas the Jews had theirs in Jerusalem, the Samaritans had set up a, a bigger and a better one at, at Mount Gerizim. They also rejected most of, uh, sorry, they accepted uh, Jewish criminal refugees. So the uh, Samaritans, because they hated the Jews so much, would say, if someone's fleeing from uh, a crime in, in Israel, we will accept them. You can come here, you'll be safe with us. And so there was a really bad blood between the, the Jews and, and the Gentiles. Also, theologically, they rejected most of the Jewish revelation. They accepted the first five books of the Torah, and they had their own writings. So there are a whole lot of reasons why the Jews and the Samaritans should not get on with each other. And Jesus um, uh, is faced by that, and he knows about it. Um, and um, we actually get some parallels when we look at Islam today. In 622 AD, uh, a man named Muhammad um, was living in Mecca. He'd been preaching for 12 years uh, to the people of Mecca. He believed that he was a prophet. He'd been told in a vision that he was a prophet. And so he gets out on the streets and starts preaching to the people of Mecca. For the first 12 years, he was very peaceful. Um, he said, you know, if someone does something bad to you, to, to you forgive them. Um, don't return, return evil with good. Um, and he was quite peaceful. And that time of preaching brought only about 200 followers. So it wasn't very effective as a, as a religious movement. In 622 AD, 623 AD, he moved to Medina, a city about 300 kilometers to the north, and he started preaching a different message. The same religion, but this version of Islam was very violent. And they began attacking the uh, nations around, or the uh, villages around them, um, enslaving people, killing people. And by the end of 10 years, Muhammad had managed to conquer the whole of the Arabian Peninsula, and he now had about 100,000 followers. So a very effective religious movement, but it was also political and social and economic uh, and military. When Muhammad died, his followers decided that they would continue the, the, uh, the violent version of Muhammad, and they started invading the countries around them. Um, within 100 years, they had occupied two-thirds of Christendom by 750 AD, two-thirds of the formerly Christian lands of um, Israel, Palestine, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, uh, Egypt, Libya, Tunisia, Morocco, all of these were Christian lands had been overrun by, by Islam. By 1500 AD, Islam was the largest empire the world had ever seen, bigger than the Romans, bigger than Alexander the Great. They appeared to be invincible, and they were just growing uh, larger and larger. That was the tipping point. After that, they lost power, and um, they um, had a, a bit of some difficult centuries. But in the last uh, couple of decades, we've seen Islam now once again on the march, resurgent Islam now starting to flex its muscles, and we're seeing uh, growing terrorism. Um, and each day, we're seeing terrorist attacks somewhere in the world, usually suicide bombings, but a whole lot of other things that are going on. So that parallel that we saw between 
Jesus and the Samaritans, we can kind of parallel that with Islam and, and the West and Islam and many nations um, that are going on now. So people have lots of reasons to feel a little bit suspicious and uncertain and unhappy about Islam, just as the Samaritans did um, in Jesus' time. But Jesus didn't buy this narrative. He, um, it says in, in John chapter 4, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Actually, he didn't have to go through Samaria. The, more, the most direct route was clearly the green one, which went from Judea up to uh, Galilee, straight through the area of Samaria. Samaria. But most Jews travelling up to Samaria would go down, the, uh, down to the Jordan Valley, Valley, walk up the river, and then climb up the mountains to go up into Galilee. Most uh, Jews would avoid Samaria because the Samaritans were known to attack people, uh, and the Samaritans were considered to be unclean. But Jesus doesn't worry about this. He decides he's going to walk right through the middle of it. Many Australians, including Christians, fear and hate um, or avoid Muslims. I, I ran a seminar in the western suburbs a couple of years ago, and our, um, the church building we were in was only a driveway away, a couple of metres away from the mosque next door. And so I thought, great opportunity. We'll teach about Islam, and then we'll go in and we'll meet the Muslims in there. And I'd arranged this with the, with the imam, and it was all set up. And then I announced this at the seminar, and a couple of people said, no way, we're not going to go into that mosque. Um, they would not even walk the, the 50 metres that would take them in there. And occasionally I meet people who say, oh, when I see a Muslim, I cross over to the other side of the street so I don't have to walk past them. So there's this kind of distaste and dislike and even hatred for Muslim people, but it's also fear as well, so all of those. Jesus didn't have any, any such a, a, a reserve about this. He uh, decided that he would um, uh, go right through the centre of the uh, Islamic area, uh, sorry, <laughs> Islamic, the Samaritan area. And um, as in the process of this, he comes to a, a well and it's midday. And all of the disciples have gone into town to buy some food. Jesus is sitting at the well by himself and along comes a woman. And she's got her, um, her a bucket um, and a rope that she'd drop down the well and pull it out. They still do this in many places in the Middle East, in some of the places that we lived. This was the normal kind of thing. And Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. Now, he was obviously a friendly kind of person, but this was breaking a rule. Because in the Middle East, men don't talk to women, and Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. And Jesus decides, I'm not going to obey those rules. I'm going to break them. I was um, speaking at an Islamic conference in Malaysia a, a couple of years ago, and uh, I was the only Christian there. They were presenting their papers, and I said, I can present a paper on Islam. So I turned up at this conference, a couple of hundred uh, Muslim scholars there. And at lunchtime, we were having lunch in this big hotel um, where the conference was being held, and I was towards the end of the line, a smorgasbord, you take your plate and go and sit at a table. And everyone was going and sitting in their tapes, and there was a lady in a black burqa like this, sitting by herself. People were just walking around her and going sitting everywhere else. And I was encouraged by this story of Jesus, breaking, breaking the rules, so I thought I'd do it too. So uh, I walked up to this lady and I said, do you mind if I have lunch with you? And she said, please sit down. Now people looking at her might assume this lady doesn't know English. The, the, of course, it was an international conference. English was the kind of the, the lingua franca. Um, they might have thought that she was unintelligent because there is, she is sitting there looking like a black bag sitting on a seat. 
and I struck up a conversation with her and got talking with her. This woman was a professor of English at a Middle Eastern university. So it's a highly educated, very articulate woman. And we had this great conversation just talking about um, the teaching that she was doing, the teaching I was doing, and, and the work we were involved in. And at the end of it, she said to me, you know, if I had to leave the Middle East, I'd like to go to Australia. And I said, why is that? She said, because I've heard that there you don't persecute Muslims. And I said to her, look, if you came to Australia, you'd be very welcome. Here's my business card. Please contact me. We'd love to, to, be, uh, love to have you around at our place. You know, friendship is the strongest bridge that we have for Muslim people. It really opens up doors for them. And I just want to encourage you, don't be scared of Muslims. Uh, don't be afraid to reach out to them. And if you see a, a Muslim person on the street, um, as I did the other day, I saw a, a Muslim guy, I said, welcome to Australia, we're glad to have you here. And for many of them, this is the first time they've ever heard that. They've never had, had that word of welcome. There's that fear and suspicion and hatred, um, and I think we need to break that down. Well, Jesus not only spoke to this woman, he also did something very strange. He asked her for a drink. Now, you might think, what's strange about that? Jesus didn't need to ask anybody for anything. If he was out on the sea and he was hungry, he could pull fish out of the sea. He was out in the desert and they only had uh, uh, five loaves and two fish. He could multiply those. He could stop storm. Jesus could have made the earth break open and, and bring a, a little fountain out of, the, out of there at any time. But he says to the woman, give me something to drink. Jesus showed himself to be needy. When Catherine and I went overseas uh, the first time in 1986, we had an eight-year-old son. Our little boy had just been born, and we went uh, to Pakistan, to Karachi, a city of 12 million people. And we had a choice about where we could live. InterServe said, where would you like to live? And we said, what are the options? And they had some mission compounds. Um, Catherine's a doctor, I'm a teacher. They could have uh, put us in a mission hospital or a school or something. And we said, we'd like to actually connect with Muslim people at a close level. And so they chose for us a suburb that was a, a purely Muslim suburb. Um, uh, and it was one of the poorer suburbs, a little bit out of the centre of town. And we moved in there. And we said to our missionary colleagues, don't come and visit us. And so just imagine this. You've got this young couple, as we were then, uh, with the little babies just moved into the area. It was obvious that we didn't speak any Urdu. We had no idea where to get things, how to get things. We were lost. And so the local community came and took us in. They, they came and they brought us food. Um, they showed us how to buy things. They helped us learn Urdu. And so there's a real power, a powerful thing in being vulnerable and being needy. And Jesus models that for us here in this story. He says to the woman, give me a drink. Well, the Samaritan woman's a bit curious about this. She says, why would a, you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? She knew that as soon as she put her bucket in the water and pulled it out, Jesus, as a proper Jew, would not touch it because it had been defiled by her, a woman touching the bucket. He would just tip it out on the ground or he'd walk away laughing. And so um, she uh, thinks, you know, I think I've got this guy sorted out. But Jesus obviously breaks the rules. He's not going to be um, bothered by these ritual kinds of things. Jesus is going to live an inconsistent life according to the, 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 the rules of, of, of his society. And I think that's sometimes what we need to do. We have to give up some of our principles in order to be able to, uh, 
uh, to follow Christ. I've got an issue with halal food. Uh, I know people say, oh, well, it's just a stamp on the thing there. But I, I actually see it as a religious tax by Muslims on the rest of us. Um, if you buy something and it's got the halal stamp on it, the um, uh, producers had to pay someone to get that stamp on there, and that money has gone to an Islamic organisation. And I'm not very happy about that because I'm not sure where the money goes. But sometimes we have Muslim uh, visitors come to our house. So my wife might have them as uh, patients. Uh, we live in the western suburbs. Um, or I might have them as friends or colleagues and say, come to our place. And to make them feel com comfortable, we say, we're going to serve halal food. So I, um, that involves, uh, and mostly that involves meat because Muslim people love meat. Um, and so I go down to our local halal butcher. Um, his name is Jihad, um, which is a great name for a butcher. <laughs> Jihad the butcher. But he's a lovely man. And, and in fact, I was in there the other day, and um, he said to me, he calls me by my name, Abu Yasa. He said, Abu Yasa, have you ever read the Quran? And I said, yeah, I have. In fact, I've read it from beginning to end. And he said, really? He, I, he said, in English? I said, no, in Arabic. He said, that's amazing. I've never met anyone like this before. And I said, what about you, Jihad? Have you ever read the Bible? And he said, no, I haven't, but I'd like to. And I said, next time I come, I'm going to bring you a Bible. He said, bring it in Arabic because I can't read English. So this has just opened up a door for me to be able to witness with this guy. And so Jesus has this discussion with this woman, and he's investing in the future. Um, he starts talking about the issue of, of water. And some of the stuff, you'll remember the conversation. Um, he, um, oops, let's see if I can just find it here. Um, <coughs> he, oops, my phone's misbehaving. He says to her, if you, um, if you knew the gift of God and who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, the Jews had this thing about water. There were two types of water. There was water that was kind of sitting in a well, and that was all right. That was good. But the best water was water that was bubbling out of a rock. That was fresh. That was spring water. That's what they called living water because it was moving. And he said, I could give you, give you that living water. And so this discussion opens up uh, for this woman about uh, living water, and then eventually it talks about, he says, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. It will become inside of them a spring of water welling up to uh, eternal life. And the woman says, this sounds like great. What a good offer. Then I won't have to come to this well every day. Give me some of this water. So Jesus moves from the, the kind of their well water to her personal satisfaction. He's moving from the known to the unknown. In one of my visits to Jihad the butcher, um, he asked me about my travels. He knows that I travel a lot to the Middle East. And he says to me, uh, he calls me Abu Yasser, my Arabic name. Abu Yasser, he said, have you been to Yemen recently? I said, no. And he said, good, don't go there. And he's holding the meat cleaver in his hair. He said, because if you go there, they'll like this. I said, great, thanks for, thanks for the advice. And he says, and have you been to Libya recently? I said, I went there a few years. Don't go, don't go back to Libya. Dangerous, because if you go there, I'll cut your head off. And Iraq, I said, I've been to Iraq. No, 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 don't go there. Otherwise, I'm just thinking if someone walking by the, the window could see this guy there pointing his thing at me going like this all the time, they would have called the police and got him arrested. But he was actually caring for me. He was thinking, you know, I, I don't want you to go there and, and, and get, your, get your head cut off. And I thought, well, here's a great opportunity. I said, uh, Jihad, why 
Is it dangerous in those places? What's common to all of them? And he says, oh, it's because they don't have democracy. And I said, no, no, it's not that. I said, it's because they're all Islamic countries. That's why it's so dangerous. I said, in Australia, we're safe and secure. And he said, yeah, I know. That's why I brought my family here from Lebanon to live. It's a great country. I said, and that's because we have here Christian teaching that has been the basis for our society. But you don't find that in other countries. You know, without Jesus, I said, you're lost. And that was kind of a, an insensitive thing to say. Um, but I think sometimes we need to say those kinds of things. And Jesus does that with this woman. He says to her, they get to the really key point there, and he says to her, go and get your husband. And she says, oh, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. Yeah, I know. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the guy that you're living with now is not your husband. And it's really quite... He, he, knows, he lets her know that he's aware of her sexual history and he puts it out there. It's a, a really kind of a touchy point, but Jesus picks on it. We do an outreach in the city each Saturday. We're out there on Swanson Street. If you turn up there on Saturdays, you'll see our tables. We're outside the library on Burke Street and down, on, uh, down outside Flinders Street. And one day, a young woman in a headscarf came up to me and she said, oh, what are you guys here? And I said, oh, we're Christians talking about Islam. And she said, oh, I, I used to be, be a, Mus a, a Christian, but I've become a Muslim. And uh, I said, oh, okay, great. Good, you know, freedom of choice, freedom of religion, whatever. And I said, what's the hardest thing for you about being a Muslim? She said, oh, all the rules we have to do, you know, every day praying five times a day. You have to wash before you do it and say these prayers in Arabic. And Ramadan, whew, you've got to fast the whole month. It's really hard work. I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, now... Doing all that work, will that guarantee your place in, into paradise? And I knew the answer to this. And she said, no, no, good, good works can't guarantee our place into paradise. It's only on the basis of the, the mercy of Allah. So I said, if it's such hard work, why do you do it? And she was a little bit stuck. She didn't quite know, why am I doing all this stuff when I'm not sure about the outcome? Um, and so uh, I said, you know, the stuff that you've been told since you've become a Muslim is not true. You've been told a whole lot of lies. They've been deceiving you. They're telling you things about your religion um, and about Christianity that are not true. And again, you know, it was an insensitive thing, but it was a, a, a point that I needed. And I said it nicely to her, just, just like I did then. Um, and sometimes we need to make a firm but, but gentle um, uh, stand for the truth. And Jesus does this with the woman, you know. So as soon as he starts talking about husbands, she then changes the topic. She says, oh, okay, well, you're a Jew and you worship on your mountain and we're Samaritans, we worship on our mountain, you know. I, all mountains are the same, basically, really. There's, or we, we're all just on the same path up, up, up the mountain. But Jesus is not having any of this. He, he goes back onto the front foot. He says, well, you worship what you do not know we worship what we knew, what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And so he says, I know where the truth lies, and this is it. And he puts it out there very clearly for her. This was not an interfaith uh, dialogue discussion. He really let her know where he stood. And then he moves beyond this. She says, oh, I perceive that you are a prophet. Um, um, uh, sorry, she says, when the Messiah comes, he will tell us all of these things. And he said... I who speak to you am he. And so he declares his identity to this woman. This is actually the first time in John's gospel that Jesus clearly calls himself the Messiah. 
in every other place. P other people called him that and he accepted it, but now he says to her, I who speak to you am the Messiah. Uh, Jesus is the one that she's been waiting for. And so Jesus continues to, um, he raises these issues, but he continues to talk um, about these, uh, these things. He, he lets this woman know that he's the one that she's been expecting. Jesus continues to reveal himself to people today. Um, I had a phone call um, one Friday night from a, a man from Malaysia, and he said, I, I need to meet with you. And so we set up a time, and I went to, to see him, and he said, um, I was a, an oil executive. I'm a Malay from a Malay background, um, from a Muslim background, an oil executive. We were a very wealthy family, very well-placed. Um, got five kids, happily married and whatever. Uh, but one night my wife had a dream. And in this dream she saw a man dressed in white who said, follow me. And she didn't know what this meant, so she wrote on her Facebook page, ha, huh, funny thing, last night I had a dream, white, man in white saying, follow me. And all her Muslim friends wrote to her and said, oh, forget it, you know, you just ate too much curry and whatever. But her Muslim friend said, no, we know who that guy is. Um, we know a man who's dressed in white and he says to people, follow me, that's Jesus. And she said, who's Jesus? So she, uh, they started a bit of a conversation and she got a Bible and she started reading the Bible. She met uh, a Malay pastor and she got baptised. Her husband wasn't very happy about this because he said, do you realise what this is going to cost us? And she said, I do. And as, but as he listened and she said, well, why don't you start reading the Bible? As he did, he also became a Christian and he was also baptised. And they'd now had to, when word got out, um, they were reported to the police. They were arrested and threatened. They uh, were given bail. They, they left the country and they'd come to Australia to apply, apply as refugees. So for many people, it's a big cost for them to put their faith, for Muslim people to put their faith in Jesus when that becomes public. But this Samaritan woman, she, uh, uh, she wasn't worried about this. She goes back, back, back to town and she starts telling the people about Jesus. She said, I've met a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and meet him. And people said, this will be a great story because we know some of the things you did. We'd love to get all the other details. And so they follow, him out, they follow her out and they come out and they said to, people, to Jesus, please come and stay with us. And he stays with them for, for two years, sorry, for two days. Um, and many of them, it says, became believers. It was a time of harvest. I um, uh, ran a conference a, a couple of years ago at the Melbourne School of Theology for Iranians who had become Muslims. And we knew there were some. Uh, we didn't know how many there would be. We had over 200 of them turn up. So this is just in Melbourne. And I got phone calls from many others saying, look, I'd love to come, but I can't because of security reasons. And we're seeing... Um, Muslims come into the kingdom of God at, an, at a, uh, an incredible rate. I'm hearing of baptisms in Melbourne every week of Muslim people. It's a really encouraging time. Jesus said to his disciples, um, don't, don't you say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And this is the time for harvest amongst Muslim people. We've seen more Muslims come to faith in Christ in these last 10 years than in the previous 14 centuries. They're estimating about a million Iranians that have come to Christ. Um, when I first got involved with Muslims 40 years ago, it was rare to meet uh, a Muslim who had become a Christian. Now I'm meeting them every week. So it's really encouraging to see. 
So how could you be part of this? Well, you could come and join us in our outreach in the city. So each Saturday we're there. Um, and you can see our thing, Jesus loves Muslims, so do we. And so Muslims will come up and, and we have great discussions with them. Um, you can have a look at my book, um, Understanding Jesus and Muhammad. I wrote this basically to give people the tools to be able to talk with Muslim people about Jesus but also about Islam. It's also a book you can give to Muslims and they could read it and learn about Islam and sometimes about their own faith, things that they hadn't learned before. Um, we have a couple of short-term teams coming up. So there's one going to Jordan in January to work amongst Syrian refugees. And I'm also taking a team to Indonesia um, next month. And if people are interested in coming and doing a couple of weeks living and working in Muslim uh, contexts, these are great opportunities for that. But it's hard work um, doing this kind of stuff. Um, it's really, you've got to put some effort in uh, to, to get it going. Um, but let's have a look at some of the things that came out of Jesus and the story from the woman at the well. The first one is that we need to take risks. Um, don't always follow the, sa the, the safe path. So Jesus could have done the usual trip of um, uh, going down to the River Jordan and going that way, but he goes right through the middle of the Samaritan Territory. Secondly, step out in faith. Uh, take the initiative and reach across the barriers. Don't let the social and cultural um, and gender barriers be a, um, something that stops you from talking to them. Make the connection, talking about uh, a person's felt need. Be willing to say the hard things, but do it gently. We don't have to be politically correct all the time. We, we, can, we can speak the truth in love. In uh, John 1.14 it says, um, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, full of grace and truth. And I think we can hold those two together, just as Jesus did. Proclaim Jesus. He's, he's the only story we've got. Um, he's, he's the saviour. He's the one who's going to, um, uh, th that will bring people into his kingdom. Expect God to reveal himself. Um, God will turn up as we step out in faith. And finally, be willing to do the hard work of, of sowing and harvesting. I see I've got, I've got two minutes left. Um, so I will uh, answer some of the questions that have come up. Someone has <coughs> texted me one. Couple. <clears throat> All right. Um, okay. Ray, the conversion of um, Muslims into Christianity in the last decades. How is comparing to the conversion of anyone into Islam? <clears throat> the figures are, are hard to to determine, but the best estimates say that for every. Um, person who becomes a Muslim by conversion, we're seeing about four Muslims become Christian. Um, it's, there's not that many. Because Islam is a hard uh, road to follow, um, there's not really as many people converting to Islam. We see it in some places amongst, the, say, the black population in America. Um, what do you think about the conversion of churches into mosques in, in, um, in Europe? That's a tragedy. Um, it, and it's deliberately done by Muslims. They will look for that and they make offers. They'll go to churches and say, um, would you like to sell your property to, to us? There's one in Lakemba um, in uh, Sydney that just got um, bought by an Islamic community that was a church property. Um, someone says, isn't Jesus one of the, the revered prophets depicted in Islam? How do Muslims reconcile Jesus' message to that of Muhammad's? Um, and they'll have that with this uh, stand that they have in the city, the Muslims. By the way, our, our Christian stand is set up just a, a few metres away from a Muslim stand. 
they were there first, but we didn't want them to feel lonely and unloved, so we set up house beside them. Um, and generally, we've got good relationships with them, generally. Um, but one of theirs is, it has Jesus, a prophet of Islam. And so we challenge that. Um, and we would say, well, the Jesus that you've got is just half a Jesus. You've got the one who was born of a virgin, the one who did miracles, but that's where your story ends. The real Jesus was the one who also told people that he was the son of God. The real Jesus was the one who died on the cross for the sins of the world. The real Jesus was the one who rose from the dead. You've, you've pulled out at half time. We've got the full story. We go right to the end. And so we um, tell them that so that they can understand who Jesus is. I think I probably should finish there. Yeah. Sorry? Oh, do, yeah, do people... That's, I've run out of there. I don't know if any people got questions from the floor. I'm happy to answer those. All right, we might stop there. I'll, I'll be around for questions afterwards. I'll stay around for lunch. Um, yes, yeah, so I've got copies of the book if you want to buy those out the back. Um, and I'm happy to answer questions. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you're uh, a God of all the world. Lord, um, all nations are, are consist of people that have been created by you and that are loved by you. And Lord, we pray for the Muslim community, Lord, one quarter of the world's population, Lord, that they would be able to hear and receive um, the good news of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you've brought so many into Australia so that we now have the freedom to be able to talk with them and pray that you would give us the courage um, and the opportunities to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Very great, great. Bernie, thank you very much. He'll be back again in two weeks' time to uh, continue the series on Islam. This month is mission focus, remember? And we are going to close now. And I invite you to stand as we sing of this song, reminding us that Jesus died for us. And if Christ be God and died for us, then there's no sacrifice too great for us to make for him. Thank you, Lord.
forgive us Lord if ever we allow this word sacrifice to enter into our vocabulary if Christ be God and came for us what sacrifice is there for us to make for you other than an absolute honor and a privilege and a joy because you shed the blood and you redeem us you save us what sacrifice? No sacrifice. It's a joy, privilege, and honor that when we see you face to face, you will be pleased with us. If Jesus wants anything, he wants everything. If he deserves anything, he deserves everything. Thank you, Lord. Help us not to allow sacrifice to enter into our vocabulary. May we serve you with joy, serve you with honor, privilege. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for those who sacrificed their life in the mission field, who devoted their lives into them. As this month we focus on mission, we are reminded that we play a part. We can support them. We who are here, we can support them financially. Pray for them so that they can go on to do the work in a better field. Thank you, Lord. Help us not to allow comfort and convenience to drown out the passion in us. Help us to manage our resources and life wisely for the extension of your work. Thank you, Lord. May the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his unconditional love, his unfailing love of Jesus Christ, and the empowering presence and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.